go man welcome back to the bitcoin podcast this is episode 300 and uh 300 and uh, <laughs> uh it took me a second to catch up but this is episode three and littering and <laughs> um feels good to be back for another week of the bitcoin podcast man uh i'm the host that talks first d and I am the other host, Dr. Corey Petty. How was your week? Back. What's up? How was your week? Oh, man. It was, I've had better weeks. It was uh, it was out there week. It was a wild week, man. So. Uh, was, what are you going to do when yeah. I'm gone? So for those that don't know, I'm having a baby soon. I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. Yeah. I'm, I'm checking out of what the world to take care of my baby. Uh, what are you going to do? Me? Yeah. What are you going to do for the podcast while I'm gone? I'm going to try to find a substitute every weekend. If that doesn't work, I'm going to get in here and talk to myself. <laughs> That'll make for some interesting yeah. content. Right, so, yeah, it'll be fucking weird. It'll be, it'll be pretty, pretty surreal. We'll call it the, the lost episodes. So they'll end up, that's what they'll probably end up being. Should do the throwback uh, and like bring cello back to just like yeah. chill and talk. Mm, mm. Maybe. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Mm, maybe. Um, what, what, well, that's not happening yet. So, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, shit. Today, I want to talk about. I don't know, man. I, it's just a, there's kind of a lot going on. I, my mind's all fuzzy, but I want to talk about the. I guess what I'd like to talk about is wrapped Bitcoin because I can't quite wrap my head around it. So, did you did you bring that up just because you wanted to say that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. We did. Um, well, no, it's like I guess people are using it as collateral and DeFi, but what the hell does that even do? Like, I'm starting to get so so DeFi. I get somebody like comes up with some sort of like I don't know algorithm. We'll call it that, which grants a return to the people that throw money in that contract, right? Sure. I mean, it feels like it can't be that easy though, because like what? Well, I really need to. It's 
It's the financial institution on a decentralized platform. That's all it is. They're just they're doing traditional finance on Ethereum because let's be let's be real here. DeFi only exists on Ethereum. Uh, and the, it, it required a stable coin or stable coins in order to start doing those things because you need a strong a stronger guarantee that the value will stay the same locked up so that you can project uh, gains and bets and futures and options on top of them. It's like, it's like derivatives. In order to do derivatives, you need to be sure that the underlying asset isn't going to move around too much. And that isn't going to happen with the underlying assets of decentralized networks like Bitcoin and Ether. Those are going to move around. So no one's going to try and make derivatives that require a certain amount to be locked up for a long period of time if that if the value of that thing being locked up changes drastically over the time it's locked up. And there are no stable coins on Bitcoin. I mean, you can say liquid, but whatever. It's a liquid is a side chain that is like basically like a 17 of 21 multisig. Liquid's not a stable coin. No, liquid is a side chain that has a stable coin. But it's not Bitcoin mm. like people would like to believe it is. It's I it's a multi-sig. What's liquid? I think it does. Coin? I think it does. It, it it allows for it, right? So like they have um more features than the Bitcoin blockchain allows. That's that's convenient. Uh but it's basically like you this is actually useful for talking about wrapped B2C because anything on liquid is the exact same thing. Right? So the concept of putting an asset on liquid or Ethereum for Bitcoin is you send Bitcoin to some address and that address is owned by some company um, or like a multi-sig, which is in, in both in both scenarios, the same thing. You send, you send Bitcoin to a multi-signature address and that company that owns that multi-signature address says, oh, cool, Bitcoin was just entered in here. I'm going to mint or create the exact same amount on this other chain. So if you're sending money to Liquid or to Ethereum, on Liquid, it gets, I think it's like LBTC, I want to say that's what it's called. I forget what it's called on Liquid. Yeah, if they basically say, okay, cool, we got this, we got this Bitcoin in this address. Let's make the same equivalent amount of Bitcoin on our chain now. And you can use it on our chain, which provides you, allows you to do things you can't do on Bitcoin. Same thing for wrapped BTC on Ethereum. You send Bitcoin to an address and the company that has deployed the smart contracts on uh, Ethereum says, hey, we got some Bitcoin in this address. Let's mint the same amount on the Ethereum chain and called wrapped BTC, which is an ERC-20 token that is a one-to-one -one mapping to the Bitcoin uh, that's submitted to a specific address. And then you can use it. You can use the you know, wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum like it's an Ethereum token because it is. And then when you're done, you say, okay, I'm done. I want to put my money back in Bitcoin. You send it back to that contract and the contract's, okay, cool. And they burn, which means they throw away or, or destroy the same amount of Bitcoin 
or wrapped BTC, and then release it back to whatever Bitcoin address that it needs to go to on the Bitcoin blockchain. Same thing happens with Liquid. The same thing happens with Liquid. It's just- So to me, it's not. Go ahead. Literally rebuilding the financial sector. Like that's literally happening. Like that's, it's just, well, because the reason I say that so confident is because like, it's so different with financial instruments, right? You've got to find different avenues in order to express different liquidity. And I guess what I mean by that is like, I can't right now, like drive to your crib and hand you the stock certificates that I have. It wouldn't mean anything. You couldn't be able to do anything with that. Like in order to exchange that ownership, it would have to go through an exchange, right? But you can't like then take that, those stock certificates and go to the gas station and say like, hey, I'm gonna take these candy bars. Let me cut off a corner of this stock certificate and give it to you. It's just as valuable as money. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like you have to, you have to change the liquidity somehow to get to do different things with it. Yeah, and it's just what's, what's more nice about what we're doing with decentralized finance and blockchain in general is moving in the direction of being able to tear off a piece of it and exchange it for some candy bars. Yeah, but like in any, in any given circumstance, you're always kind of like changing its form for various things and relying on some like and a lot of these things relying on some intermediary so like trust like for like for liquid and ethereum like you have to trust the custodian to make sure that that transformation from bitcoin to lbtc or wbtc happens correctly now what's nice about this is that it's not a bank like it's a transparent multi-signature address where you can see it happen in real time and if you would need to investigate it or audit it that's that's available you're not just saying like i don't know jp morgan and chase so i guess do that thing and i'm gonna assume you're gonna do it right and then go off and you know fuck your money mm-hmm. so it's kind of getting coming full circle a little bit slowly over time back to the like you know fuck banks mm. even though it's like there's no, some banks changes. are in it banks are in it like banks are banks are adapting themselves to this because they realize like oh we have these this new tool set to like do new stuff so like, like kind of like what you said like it's it's two fronts going on at the same time we're trying to take over banking infrastructure and like you know destroy your bank be your own bank that whole narrative but at the same time we're making that final boss where banks are like i can do what now i can do those yeah. things i couldn't do before and no one's going to like there's no regulation with it Okay, let's have some fun. Yeah, and like it's that hasn't happened pop. yet. It's about to, dude. JP, JP Morgan is like, it's weird, dude. JP Morgan is flexing nuts that Bitcoin is going to be the best shit ever, and then conversely, Goldman Sachs is saying Bitcoin is worthless um, and is basically gambling, which is ironic because Goldman Sachs, like, I'm ninety nine percent sure, is an angel investor in Coinbase, so I don't get that contradictory. That self-contradiction. But then JP Morgan's doing like a complete 180. You know, JP Morgan was Jamie Dimon was saying things like, oh, if you trade Bitcoin, uh, you're gonna get fired on the spot. And now that JP Morgan is like, eh, give it a shot. You know what? Yeah. In fact, right. uh, here's the issue. Um what you're referring to is public relations of large corporations, which are not what they actually think. 
Like, act, for, as, take, let's take for an example. I've been watching this show on Netflix called Mars. I think it was made in like 2018 or 2016 or something. It's literally about, it's like a half documentary, half show about colonization of Mars. And in the documentary, it talks about um, issues of living on Mars in a real way. Um, and part of it is like corporations becoming the main thing that that colonize and they do the same thing that we're doing here on earth. And part of that is like um, what corporations say versus what corporations do. And say, for instance, the climate change. Uh, a lot of corporations like oil companies will openly say that they don't believe in climate change, like, especially early in the beginning, they would cite like, like quote unquote scientific journals that say there is no scientific evidence of climate change or like enough and so on and so forth, because it's, it's, it's bad for their profits for them not to be able to uh, extract resources from the earth. But at the same time, internally, they're jacking up their like their water rigs to adjust for the, for, for the rising uh, water levels. So internally, they're, they understand that water levels are rising due to climate change. They adjust accordingly, but outwardly say, like, there's no such thing as climate change. We should keep drilling. Like, there's no reason to believe any public relations that come from large corporations ever because it's not in their benefit if it's against their like bottom dollar. That's what's happening with like JP Morgan talking about Bitcoin and shit. It's like, oh no, it's terrible. But at the meantime, they're investing heavily in it, which we've seen over the past couple months, right? All of these large banks, all of them have some large investment in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That's true. I've been saying it for a while. I know they're in there, man. I know they're in there deep too, too Corey. They're in there. You know how I know they're in there deep? It's because they keep asking more and more questions on your tax returns. <laughs> yeah, you know everyone's, I mean? everyone's a little like, what do you mean have I traded crypto? What do you, what do you care about? It's like, I want that money. Give my money. Yeah, they want to know because they're planning for something to grow. And they want to know who they need to go after when it does. I mean, it's just, it's the writing's on the wall, but I thought that was really unique. Um, this all started with wrapped Bitcoin and DeFi is pretty powerful, man. It's, it's pretty neat. I was messing around just in Coinbase the other day and, Coinbase. and I had never Coinbase. I had gotten a little bit of USDC just to like play around with it. And, um, the cool thing about holding USDC is you can literally see down to like the sixth decimal point. Now, let me look at my phone real quick. And this is, it's, um, let me see. Let me, let me crack this shit open real quick. Let me crack it. He cracked this shit open. So I'm looking at my USDC. And when you look at your USDC, you see a running clock of the year of the APY being applied to the USDC that you hold. So it goes down one, two, three, four, five, six, eight decimal places, and it's only going up. It's always going up. I don't know if you can see it's this. It's streaming story. money, you know, like I can, it's so blurry. I can't see that, but I see, I see numbers moving, but I can't differentiate them. But yeah, it's streaming it's really, money. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, we've gotten to the point now where we have the technology to stream money. And previously, in the financial infrastructure that existed like before, 
didn't allow for that because it was too costly to send money like that. They could kind of like virtualize it and kind of say what was happening, but the back end wasn't actually doing that. That's why we have monthly paychecks because it's too costly to pay out more frequently than that or like biweekly and so on and so forth. But like that's where the monthly paycheck came from. Yeah, you can say it's for like projecting ahead and making sure the finance. No, it's because it's too costly to pay out more frequently than that because the financial infrastructure doesn't allow for it. This financial infrastructure allows for it. So you can do new types of payments. We've talked about this previously in older episodes. You can stream money and all of the consequences of that allow for like very new types of relationships in business and like people earning money and how they conduct themselves and how they expect to get paid for the work that they do while they do it as opposed to like upfront payment, half now, half later, uh, once a month uh, contracts. All that bullshit can change drastically with this new infrastructure and how people get paid for the work that they do. That's awesome. It's At the same time, it's like I don't know how that works like what kind of relationship does that build between employer and employee if you're getting paid that day for that work you did that day i don't think we you as know, humans know that like i don't i don't i don't know like i don't know i'd have to think about it for a long period of time right but people have like you know, go ahead that novel uh that, that we uh like stealing worlds that we interviewed carl schrader for on the on, on a previous episode does a pretty yeah. good job of painting that picture of like what the world looks like when you can get streamed payments for the work that you do in myriad of ways. Like you can have multiple income sources for the things that you do, or you can get paid for just using things. Like there's there's so many, there's so much cool shit you can do. Like people can just like, oh, that maybe blows up like the influencer market a little too much, but like, I don't know what to think about the world that's going to exist when streaming streaming money is is a is a is a easy thing and normal thing. All because crypto, man. I had somebody tell me this week, hey, you know, they sent me an invoice and then they asked to be paid. Their preference score was to be paid in USDC, and that started my USDC exploration. On. Who did that? I guess you don't, don't, never mind. Don't answer that. That's financial. Yeah. I'm not gonna was, it, was it, was it for but, work or was it for podcast though? Well, there's a blurred line there, but we'll say it's for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is for podcasting. It was for podcasting, but still it's like, the shit's happening, man. Everything that we've talked about in the last I don't know, however many years we've been into this stuff is it's happening. It's it didn't it doesn't look anything like the way we thought it was gonna look, which is probably a good thing because chaos is not a good thing. But it's just gonna be this smooth transition into like when I mean you when you and me are old and gray, we're gonna be like, Man, it's fucking crazy that all that shit actually happens. <laughs> like you people are just doing deals in USDC and it's like the writing is on the wall. It really is. So, what do you just, mean, you people? Huh? You said you people. I was just joking. I did. Oh, oh, okay. What do you mean, you people? Um, 
Yeah, man, it's, it's it's wild to me. I didn't even know. Like he had the wallet address ready and everything. He was like, "Can you please send it to USDC?" And I was like, oh, "No," but I respect your request. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're uh, asking for this, but no. <laughs> and like, I don't even know if I would love that I'm asking for that because that is not a big. That's not Bitcoin. That's not Ether. That's a stable coin. It's a stable coin. That's you know, we know how stable coins work that aren't. But that's crypto, right? But it is. It's it's just because, you know, that's the beauty of open source code. Like anybody can build on it. And that's what it is. USDC is crypto. It's not open by anything. It's definitely not decentralized. Is it decentralized? No, we can't say not. USDC is it's decentralized. Not. It's not. It's, it's, it's Coinbase's. It's backed by dollars. Yeah. It's backed by Coinbase. I mean, it's it's out of okay. I'll say this: out of all the stable coins, out of all the centralized stable coins, it's probably the best one. In and terms that, of a like, decentralized stable coin, Dai takes the cake. It's 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 the best in terms of an implementation of a decentralized stable coin. In terms of a centralized stable coin, I would say USDC is the most trustworthy, in my opinion. It's not the most used though. Tether is the most used. Uh, I don't know why. I'd have to look into that. Like, why is Tether the most used across the board? Um, I think it was because it was the first, and so it got implemented into exchanges, and people made a lot of money on it, and it got implemented into more changes or exchanges, and so on and so forth. And so now it's like embedded into some type of cycle. and I don't know. Yeah, well, there ha- I, 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 in my opinion, there's some shady shit going on with Tether. But oh yeah, I don't know what it is. I can't point my finger at it, and it's because I haven't looked at it there's enough. Shady shit going on with any central entity. Like that's just the way it goes. There's not yeah, a they, single. They, pure they made it for a reason, right? They didn't make it for like to be altruistic. They made it to make money or like to have people use yeah. it. So it doesn't. It doesn't matter how pure. Let's. I'll, this is all you need to know about the purity of central entities. The Catholic Church, full of pedos, full of them, and they can't do shit about it. They cannot do a damn thing. They got mad pedophiles, and they can't do shit about it. They're, well, they can. They just don't. That's the fucking Catholic Church. So it's like, mm, is Taylor that bad? Like that's what. You, like, that's, 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 that's your, your go to explanation. Is mm. that bad? Is USDC that bad? I guess not. I guess yes, not that bad it is. Yes, it is. Like it shouldn't be that way. Hey man, it should be. But right. uh, we is. have a, we have a technical explainer, which dovetails not nicely from. I guess is tether that bad, but like pre- uh, the previous conversation of, um, like, oh yeah, I forgot. I got some. This is technical explainer music. Is it? Uh, I guess I'm going to do it now. It's just fucked up because your microphone sucks. Oh. All right. I'll turn it off. <laughs> All right. Come on with the technical explainer. Um, so we're going to talk about deploying a smart contract, uh, specifically on Ethereum, because let's be real. They're the only ones doing smart contracts, real smart contracts. Um, and 
the concept of this is what's involved, like what what does the developer do and what actually happens. And so on Ethereum, you have an additional feature of um, deploying a thing called smart contracts, which I don't like the name for. I've never liked the name for smart contracts. I think it's a terrible name. Uh, they're not smart. And they're not really contracts. They're they're basically automatons or robots. An automaton. Yeah, <laughs> you really like that one. Yeah, you 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 specify a certain amount of like rules and logic. You codify that in some languages, which we'll talk about here in a hot second, and then you deploy it to the you, you like embed that into the smart into the into the ethereum blockchain and then people can interact with it so it's like a robot on the ethereum blockchain you can interact with it can handle money it can handle rules it does certain functions it can talk to other robots or smart contracts and that's it but you can't change it you can, like once you deploy the code to the blockchain it stays that way forever never goes away you can destroy it and make it like non-functioning but it's still there right uh, if you if you pre, if you like embed it with that functionality in the first place, so uh, what's the process? Like, say you as a developer are like, hey, I would like to like decentralize this part of my business and put it on the blockchain. I want to make a smart contract that does escrow. I no longer want to rely on uh, Bob the escrow guy to handle my money. I'm going to make a smart contract that does this for me. Where like when I enter a business. I lock my money in this in this robot or smart contract. And when the other person does the business, I release it to them. So that way, they know that the money is there, ready to go. They can see all the rules associated with how it gets released. They can agree with that. And they say, okay, I see the money's there. I know he's not going to screw me. I'll do my service. And when I'm done, he'll release the money to me. As opposed to like assuming he'll do the job or assume Bob the escrow guy is going to do his job and not run away with the money or give it back, right? And so I I write this 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 contract. I write this program, a robot, in a language called Solidity, which looks a lot like JavaScript, but isn't. I got a whole it's rant not. on. I got a whole rant on why it looks like JavaScript and how terrible that is. But that's a different day. Uh, so I write this program in a in a in a, in a programming language called Solidity. This is a human readable language, which means that like if you look at the con if you look at the smart contract code, you can get a pretty good idea on what it does, right? If, you know, if Carl does this thing, then release money under these other circumstances, uh change ownership of this contract if this address is the one calling the function, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? You can do all these things in this programming language that's, that's human readable. And then you run it through a compiler called SolC, and it turns it into something called bytecode, right? So it turns it from human-readable language of Solidity into machine-readable language, Ethereum, the Ethereum virtual machine bytecode, which is all of the kind of primitive functions that do the things you think it's going to do, right? It's like it turns the human readable language into the into the machine readable language that tries to do what you programmed it to do. Now there's an interesting part, right? 
that transformation going from human readable language to the stuff that's actually embedded into the blockchain, the bytecode, is a transformation, which means that you need to rely on the compiler to make sure that it's doing what you think it's supposed to do. You can make the perfect solidity contract, but if you aren't aware of some like gotchas or like methods on how to write solidity code properly, the thing that actually gets embedded into the blockchain, the thing that can't change, the thing that operates forever, you know, think about the DAO, could Mm -hmm. actually not operate the way you think it is. I think it does, just based on that transformation. If the, if, the, if the compiler isn't good enough or like there's like some weird things you can do based on like transformation and, the, and, and like and what opcodes get embedded into the blockchain. Cool, whatever. That's a whole nother story again. But you write a contract based on what functionality you want. You run it through a compiler, which turns it into bytecode and you submit a transaction that says create contract. Like create this contract on the blockchain for Ethereum and you pay gas associated with how complex it is and how big it is. And it gets embedded. And then you have basically a robot living on the Ethereum blockchain with a very specific set of functionality that you made. And it lives there forever. You can't change it. You can't change this functionality once it's there. And it it ends up becoming an autonomous way to handle business logic that can't be changed, that is transparent and everyone can agree upon. That. Hmm. What questions do you have from there? Well, what about like emergence of things like it's that seems incredibly daunting because if you're going to launch a smart contract and with the assumption that it is going to run forever, but if there are different parameters in that contract start to have different effects, the larger the numbers get in a way that you can't predict, then how do you, I mean, you're always going to have to, it seems to me like the inevitability of running into a situation like the DAO is, is concrete because numbers have different like behavior, the larger that they, they get or the smaller that they get. And so if you're programming in these parameters and then you compile it and then to bytecode, there's like some sort of randomness that could occur that could make your perfectly written contract have some sort of effect that you couldn't foresee. And all that means to me in the long run is there has to always be this council of Ethereans that we'll call it that you can coin it if you like it, that can hard fork whenever bad stuff happens. Ooh, I love that you brought this up. Um, the consequence of permanence means you need to spend a lot of time making sure what you're deploying does what you think it does. Which means the development process is much more involved. How you go about making something, how you test it, how you plan for it, how you write it, the architecture behind it, how you like thinking about how you upgrade it, thinking about who can do what on it, testing to make sure that nothing else can happen. All of these things need to be done, which is more akin to developing for, I don't know, space flight than it is for 
making a front end for your new web app. The process around making these things is more akin to financial infrastructure because there's consequences, real permanent consequences associated with what you put out there. And you can't treat it like a weekend hobby. That's, that's real. That's, we're making, you're making programmable money. Don't treat it like something else. And so that's the problem here. People write things, get a bunch of money thrown into it, and, then, and, they're, and they're surprised when it fails because they had a terrible process. They don't have a specification on what it's supposed to do. They don't have user stories on who's supposed to use it. They didn't get an audit. They wrote it in like a weekend, like all this stupid shit that it currently exists because people don't know how to think about making this infrastructure properly because there's a whole other reasons as to, as to why, because, but like, this isn't a problem with the technology. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are problems with the technology that we can get around and fix. The main problem is people's approach to deploying these things and understanding of the risks involved. It's like, oh, I made a contract this weekend. And, you know, it's got 20 bucks. And then fast forward a month later, it's got $3 million in it. And they're like, oh shit, I didn't expect this to happen. But people assume because it's on there and it's doing things that's supposed to do and autonomous and secure and permanent, that it's safe. And that's not necessarily true. And it doesn't get attention, doesn't get the attention it deserves until there's enough money in it when it's too late. And so there needs to be a lot more planning that goes on when people make this stuff. And this goes across the board with blockchain. It's not just Ethereum. It's yeah. people running proper organizations and planning and development if they're going to make financial tools and programmable money and expect it to be open and public and available to everyone. You can't blame the platform for that. You blame the people who had a shitty development process. It's almost like if you're going to be committed, to, you have to be, you have to be completely subscribed to the idea of like graceful latency and that these networks and ideas and developments grow in such a chaotic way that you can only appreciate the form of it looking in hindsight. Like, if you were to track lightning network growth from point zero to now, and I guess put that on a time lapse, you would probably see this beautiful network propagation that ends up looking like probably a large star cluster or something. It's depending on how somebody visualized it. It looks beautiful now, but if you take snapshots of the during, it's pretty fucking chaotic. And I guess Ethereum's going to be the same way. And you had to be comfortable with the uh, with the idea that, yeah, you could release a smart contract that you built in a couple weekends. And one day it's boring. And then the next day it's, you know, like you said, worth $3 million. I don't think there's any way to predict that. Like the people don't think that they're doing that. They're just like, oh, I'm playing around on this computer, this, this virtual machine. Well, there's two parts so, to that. There's one, the, the, there's the developer thinking about what could happen if this blows up. And trying to put in stop gaps to fix that accordingly. And the other one is the people who are involved putting money into things that they don't understand. So it's like a windfall of unpredictability. It's fun. It's fun, at least. That's for sure.
Um, oh, before we get too distracted, did you see that shit that Audius is doing with the you can make remixes of people's music? Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Like they add like all the like layers to a given song to allow you to do remixes, and then they and then they like list the, mix, the mixes below the actual songs. Dude, that's gonna that's cool. It's pretty pivotal, man. Because if you could then make money off of your remix, but the original creator of the song still makes money off of your remix. That's, that's some cool. new shit. That's, that's cool. I like that. Like that's that's the kind of thing. Like that's also a part of that your first conversation of like streaming money and the things you can do and like tying things together. That like that's done with smart contracts, right? That's all done automatically. If so, if yeah. something happens, break this payment up appropriately based on these rules, and then you don't need to rely on some music producer or production company to make sure that that happens where they end up taking the lion's share for making sure that happens appropriately. You just have a system that does that automatically. What do we call it? We got a coin. Let's coin it right here on the show right now. What it is, is central, central authorities now have, they've now, since the invention of blockchain, now central authorities are an option. So what do we call the opposite of a central authority. And I don't want to say a decentralized authority because decentralized is a word, no matter how much crypto heads love it. It's a very ugly word and not a very, you don't walk around in everyday language talking about decentralizing things. It's just weird. So, and at the same end, nobody says central authority, but we just accept it for what it is. So what would be the opposite of a central authority? For instance, for the reason I'm even saying this is because now if I'm a musician, I don't really have to worry about copyright and all that kind of stuff. Because if I put my music and tag it to a blockchain, then nope, I am the originator of that music. I put it on there first. The ID, whatever it is that's hashed to my music, that, that means it is mine. And if you do choose to use it, you can get make money off of it, but I'm going to make some money too. I don't need um copyright agency to prove that I have the authority over that music. There's an option now. So like what do we call it? it's like a, it's like a, if it's not a central authority, it's a what authority? There's a word there. Distributed? Distributed authority? Machine automated. I like that one. I like that one. Delegated automated authority is just a second. Hey, can you stop drinking that toilet water? <laughs> Sorry, my puppy doesn't seem to like to drink his water out of his water dispenser thing. Well, that's a great transition into this. Into <laughs> this interview because like what what the interview of this episode was was a, a kind of an automated way to do investments in a, in a way that's like reasonable for most people right he's he's like the, this company tries to tackle a simple problem and do it well on bitcoin specifically bitcoin they're very bitcoin specific but like yep. i like the i like that concept do one thing and do it well and make sure that it's 
universally usable and, and, and useful for people, especially people who like don't need to understand the underlying technology. They just want to do something new or useful. Yeah, it's it's a uh, Swan is the app. It's very much like Lawnmower, but not quite. Um, play the outro. Hello, hello. If you guys heard the tagline, you know what time it is. It's it's time for another one of the Bitcoin podcast interviews. And this week we have a very interesting guest with a very interesting application. Uh, to me, it feels like you're trying to push forward mass adoption, which those two words are like the holy grail of, of crypto, <laughs> always will be. Uh, but we're here with uh, Brady Swinson, the head of education of SWAN. Uh Welcome, Brady. How you doing? Glad to be here, man. Um, happy to happy to always talk Bitcoin anytime. So, looking forward to That's this. What are talking about? So, so where are you from, man? How'd you fall into crypto? Who are you? What's your backstory? Yeah, man. So, I grew up just outside of Kansas City in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, home of the Jayhawks. If you uh, are a, a sports fan, you'll probably have heard of our basketball team. Um, and. I left for a while after I graduated KU uh, here in Lawrence. Uh, left for a while. I was in the Peace Corps, traveled around. Um, when I came back, uh, I had, I got back into uh, te the tech scene after teaching for a few years in the Peace Corps, and then when I got back for a little while. Um, but you know, the the tech scene was uh, better money, <laughs> and so uh, it was always my first love. I was a computer nerd growing up, so I got back into tech. Uh, worked on the web for quite a while found Bitcoin in 2014, um, tried to make a Coinbase account, didn't work with my little regional bank. Um, Coinbase support is notoriously terrible. Uh, so I just gave up. I didn't really know what I was looking at. I was curious about it, but didn't have the conviction to really you know, stick with it. So come 2017, you know, I'd been kind of hearing about it off and on. Um, I've, I heard it had gone back over $1,000. And that was like really intriguing to me because I was sort of buying into the you know, Bitcoin's dead. Um, you know, this is just a, it was just a big bubble before it's burst. It's going down to zero. And, uh, and then I just got hooked, man. I got hooked as they, as Bitcoiners say, I fell down the rabbit hole, um, read everything I could, watched everything I could, was basically like sick with Bitcoin curiosity for like six weeks. That's like all I wanted to do. That's a better way and, to put it. <laughs> I, I was sick. It was just, I couldn't think about anything else. Totally obsessed. And that's kind of continued, though, in a little bit more healthy, a healthy way since then. <laughs> so what's Swan? What does Swan do and what differentiates it from kind of the rest of the products in the market? Yeah. So Swan is dedicated to or just laser focused on automatic recurring purchases of Bitcoin. So you can just set up an automatic buy uh, on a weekly paycheck or like, every, or like twice a month or monthly basis. And will you know however much you say you give us the amount the frequency connect your bank account will automatically pull um from your bank account will automatically purchase the bitcoin and if you want to you can set up automatic withdrawals to your wallet so it'll do the whole thing for you uh you just set it up and you know every couple of weeks you'll get bitcoin into your wallet nice so yeah. it's 
Why the name Swan? I'm trying to think of like delivering babies, but that's the only <laughs> analogy I can like. That's think the stork, of. buddy. <laughs> oh, that is a stork, isn't it? <laughs> Damn, I got my birds wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, Never mind. Swan. The it's question stands, sir. Why the stands. Swan? Yeah. So, good question. Um, our founder and CEO Corey Clipston. He is a big Nassim Taleb fan, and Taleb is a philosopher, kind of a modern philosopher. He's written a series of five books that's called The Inserto. The collection is called The Inserto. One of those books is called Black Swan, and it's the idea that you know black swans don't come around very often, like in nature. Like most swans are white. Every once in a while, due to you know a chance of small chance of genetics, you get a black swan. So it just doesn't happen very often. And he uses the term black swan to mean an unpredictable event that seems obvious in hindsight. Now, this is most often applied to like bad events, right? Like negative events, like for instance, the coronavirus, right? Um, but black swans can also be positive. And so we think that Bitcoin is, you know, probably the most positive black swan uh, that humans have seen in a long time, uh, that it's going to really change the world in, in very positive ways uh, over the long run. And, um, yeah, and we just we just like the image of it. It was friendly and approachable. We're trying to, uh, like you said at the in the opening, kind of reach the masses and bring Bitcoin in like a very accessible, kind of approachable way. Uh, and we thought that name kind of jived in that, with that as well. But we like the, we also like the sort of like backstory, even if it's just kind of like an, an inside thing for us. Uh, that but that was the inspiration. Next nice. obvious softball question: All Why? Right. <laughs> Why recurring payments? Well, my recurring purchases solely on that, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, in product developments, uh, I strongly believe in in Corey and our CTO Jan Pritzker, um, who also wrote a book called Inventing Bitcoin, which you should check out. Jan's book. Um, we believe that a great product should focus on one thing, like pick one thing and do it better than anyone else, right? This allows you to, you know, really have like a, a lean and mean team, you know, keep costs down. And if you can solve a problem, you know, even if it's just one focus problem better than any other product, then you're going to win devoted, you know, customers and, and users. Um, so we also think that automatic recurring buys is the best way to accumulate Bitcoin. Bitcoin's notoriously volatile in terms of USD price over the short term. Uh, and, you know, if you trying to time the market is just, you know, really, really difficult for people who are like doing this full time, right? It's a 24 seven global market, unlike stock markets, uh, equity markets, which close, you know, kind of run in normal business hours. This is 24 seven and it's ruthless, man. Um, trying mm -hmm. to time the market, not good. <laughs> You'll get wrecked for the most part. So, um, you know, regular buys allows you to sort of distribute the, the cost basis over time. So if you sort of start at the bottom of a cycle and you're buying all the way to the top of the cycle, your cost basis is going to be right around the middle, which is a pretty good deal, you know? Um, and, you know, Bitcoin's, I think, and we think is a, a long-term play. It's a long-term investment. So there's only a couple other ways that human or that Americans really save anymore, right? Savings has kind of gone out the window with this fiat culture that, that we're in now. Um, and so, but we still save in two ways. Uh, one, 401k, 
which you're regularly contributing to every paycheck. And two, your mortgage. You're contributing to the equity of your of your mortgage if you you know have a mortgage and own your home um, every month. So that's just a regular coming out of your paycheck. Don't think about it and just kind of accruing that that wealth over time. So we think Bitcoin should be looked at in the same way. At least you know right now it's a store of value, um, kind of in that phase of of monetization, and uh, we think it should be looked at that way, sort of like a, an investment for you know the long term, five, ten years at least. Yeah, I had a second that I think Bitcoin's going to be uh, just a strong investment for the foreseeable future. I think it's got a lot of hurdles to to get through when it comes to like being an actual currency, yeah, or monetary standard. Uh, because mm -hmm. right now you'll just get, like you said, you, you could potentially get wrecked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and nobody wants that. And uh, I like you're saying that, like you just focus on one thing. Like one dude told me a while, I was like, you don't, you don't boil the ocean, you storm the beach. I've always nice. liked that quote. But that's 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 your strategy there. How yeah. you guys swimming with the sharks? I mean, there's, I mean, your biggest obvious competitor is Coinbase. Coinbase. Yeah makes it dumb easy like i um mm -hmm. I, i've onboarded a few people in the last month uh whether they liked it or not <laughs> and they were on ramp and yeah. they, they you know the ones that loved it they opened up coinbase and because i just i just recommend coinbase because it's what i'm used to doing it's what i've done now for six years set, no, yeah five years or so and um they just uh Go straight to it. They're like, oh, I can make a recurring purchase and set it up mm -hmm. just like this. And I set it and forget it. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. So how you guys, you specifically being the head of education, how do mm -hmm. you kind of peel off that market? Yeah. So our strategy from the beginning has been to earn the recommendation of Bitcoiners, like people who are Bitcoin only, really only interested in Bitcoin. Um, and so we're really going for that audience. We think that, you know, this next bull run that we're kind of all expecting and hoping for comes lots of new, you know, attention coming in, people looking to figure out what Bitcoin is and how to invest. You know, a lot of times those people go to Twitter or they ask their Bitcoin friends or whatever. We want to earn those recommendations as much as possible. So our pitch to Bitcoiners is that one, especially against Coinbase, uh, one, we have no distractions, right? There's no altcoins. There's no like incentive or like big... Coinbase wants you to start gambling, right? They want you to start buying altcoins and just kind of play in the, the market a little bit and trying to make more Bitcoin or make more dollars. They make money on all of those trades, you know? So they kind of want to funnel people there. Uh, for the, it, We have no distractions, right? No altcoins. You're just coming in, investing in Bitcoin. It is, I think, just as easy to set up a SWAN plan as it is to set up a, a Coinbase account and a, and a recurring purchase plan there. And then kind of to seal the deal, uh, two other two last things. One, we really focus on like best practices, you know, really uh, doing the best like things for the blockchain itself, you know, just like bashing transactions and encouraging withdrawals to your, you know, your own wallet, teaching people how to do that um, and just educating in general about Bitcoin. And finally, we have much lower fees. Like I said earlier, we have we're kind of a lean, mean Bitcoin only machine. We focus on one thing. We, our team can be a lot smaller. So we have up to 75% lower fees than Coinbase if you're buying 50 bucks a week. And then it's like 63% if you're buying five, $5 a week or more. So just a big difference in fees. Um, mm. Yeah. 
that was my that's the big selling point right that there. was my next question yeah, was how do you make money like how do you like what was how mm-hmm. do you say how you as a lean mean machine how do you grow um how does that machine kind of bring in revenue uh, etc mm-hmm. and it's basically through through fees can you talk us through a bit about the fee structure and kind of um, yeah how like what the user can expect using a service like this and why they would do this as opposed to just do it themselves yeah um so the fee structure is we have three tiers of fees uh so five to 49 dollars uh and then 50 to 200 a week uh 200 a month i think yeah 50 to 200 a month and then above 200. um the fees are start around let's see I, I should pull it up but it's like two and a half percent for the lowest tier uh one and a half percent for the middle tier and like one percent for the top tier but then if you pay your fees ahead of time. Basically, you sign up for like an annual SWAN membership. You get even lower fees. And at that point, we have uh, our lowest fee at 50 bucks a week is uh, 0.99%, 0.99%. So we're under a 1% take uh, on those purchases. We do not have any withdrawal fees. Again, we want you, we encourage you to withdraw and hold your own keys uh, if you are comfortable doing so. Um, so no withdrawal fees. We are able able to make money um, at a certain scale that we think we can achieve, uh, and we're already like three times ahead of schedule uh, toward achieving. Uh, so we, yeah, we think that you know, given enough a uh, certain threshold of of users, uh, that will start being profitable, and we don't think we need a big team to kind of to scale this thing. So we don't plan on needing to hire a whole lot, um, creating a bunch of infrastructure. We have a a very experienced, very efficient team. And it's just a lot of fun to work with everyone. We're really, I mean, just crushing it every day. It's fun to be on this team. Does Jack Dorsey we'll like that? <laughs> <laughs> Does Jack Dorsey piss you off or do you like what he's doing? <laughs> I love Jack Dorsey, man. Jack Dorsey's great. Uh, he's great for Bitcoin. I love that he's Bitcoin only and dedicated to that. He's got a, you know, just like a legit cypherpunk background. Uh, respect his you know, his vision of, of um, the future for Cash App and like creating a, you know, Bitcoin based bank eventually is basically what he's doing. I love Square Crypto and their dedication to, you know, building on Bitcoin. So I'm a big fan of Cash App and, and Jack Dorsey too. I think there's a lot of room in this space and we're really just mm-hmm. kind of at the beginning here. Um, so kind of rising tide lifts all boats situation. I think there's plenty of room for, you know, yeah. at least five companies that will be very successful um, in the oh, US yeah. onboarding customers. So it's it's always the 1%. Like however many businesses are starting up in crypto, only 1% of them are going to be the beasts. So mm-hmm. if you're not positioning yourself to be the beast and you don't think you have the energy for it, then that's just not going to be you. But with fees like that, man, shit, I may or may not be one of those people that does recurring purchases through Coinbase at amounts that would get me good fees, though, so we might need to do a little bit of talking. Well, here's the thing, right? Come on over, man. Here's the thing, like, we, early, early, early on in this podcast, um, maybe some of our listeners will understand, maybe even remember this, um, we interviewed and became friends with the lawnmower guys. Are you familiar with that application? No, I'm not. Tell me about it. Okay. Lawnmower is exactly this. It was the pocket change of crypto. Okay. It wasn't a recurring fees. You could, but though their later application before it got uh, defunded could do that. But like it was just, you remember the keep the change thing you can do in a lot of your bank accounts where like um, it would yeah. round up to the next dollar and then just put that in a different account. Well, they did that, yeah, yeah. but then made Bitcoin purchases with it and then gave you a bunch of like analytical tools to see how your investment over time 
of you know passively dollar cost averaging over uh, like has been has done well for you. It ended up doing like really yeah. well for us while we used it and we proselytized it a lot. And then it, it kind of that went defunct because the that they went on to do other things. And then a couple of other applications tried to do something similar. It didn't quite work out. Maybe it was a regulatory issue because that's when a lot of that stuff started kind of changing and and gathering momentum. Yeah. Uh, but like we love this idea of like passively dollar cost averaging and getting mm-hmm. people to invest a small amount of money very regularly and small fees kind of don't get in the way of uh, it, it's worth the convenience, right? Because like in this type of technology, you can do everything yourself. So why why would I? Well, it's convenient. I don't want to have to think and remember and do this thing. I want it to just happen. And then mm-hmm. three months down the line, I look at my, my phone has done it and it's hopefully good. Uh, yep. I'm assuming that's kind of the, the method y'all went. And I'm happy to see like more people try and laser focus onto stuff that's generally useful for people at a convenience level, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. even though they can do it themselves. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's uh, you know ease of use, a great a great user experience that's easy to use, and then. Uh, you know, great customer service, which I think we provide. Uh, we've got you know plenty of comments on that front, um, and then yeah, just low fees, right? I mean, that's the bottom line for for a lot of people to make decisions. Uh, so if we can provide low fees and a great experience, and also you know stick to the sort of ethics or ethos of being Bitcoin only uh, and dedicated to Bitcoin education, then I think we can achieve our goal of winning a lot of those recommendations. Um, and if that happens, then I think we're going to we're gonna grow a lot. We just launched a um, an affiliate program called Swan Force. Uh, it's going to be pretty awesome. We have, I think, at least 100 people already signed up kind of for the, the initial launch of this. Uh, you'll get a like a custom URL, a custom landing page. So it'd be like swanbitcoin.com slash satoshi or something like that. And then when you go to that page, you use that link to give to your family friends, shill it on your uh, social networks. And then when you go to that page, you'll have a banner at the top, your picture, and then like a quote from you or some kind of like, you know, recommendation or endorsement or just something about Bitcoin, whatever. Uh, and then, you know, you'll get uh, five bucks for every referral that actually starts a plan. Your person you refer gets 10 bucks dropped into their account. Uh, so we're really excited about that about that plan, and it kind of dovetails with our um, our referrals goal. So nice, yeah. Um, so I'll drop it. Mine right. is swanbitcoin.com/brady, <laughs> um, and if you guys would like to get one, <laughs> if you guys would like to get one, we'd love to hook you up. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. I think I think uh, our listeners probably would love would love something like that too. Um, you can go uh, to so, so uh, like, uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say if you wanna if you're interested, you can go to swanbitcoin.com slash enlist E N L I S T and you know, grab yourself a URL. You hear that? They're talking to you, Yagi. Sorry, <laughs> we have a listener named Yagi. I know he's listening. Um so all right, so what about as the head of education, like where does the curriculum start at the mm-hmm. University of Swan? Like what, you know, if I'm coming from 101, Swan 101 to Swan 301, I think that's how the college numbers go. I can't remember. Obviously, I wasn't great at it, but <laughs> what what uh, what's the start of the curriculum? So we are writing a book called The Gift of Bitcoin, 
and we're writing it. Uh, we're dropping each a chapter once a month. Uh, it's going to be 12 chapters long. It's focused on taking you from nothing, you know, no knowledge at all about Bitcoin, up through you know, um, why money, um, a bit of Austrian economics, and just like what money really is compared to you know, sound money versus fiat money. Um, the sort of the optimism of Bitcoin, like the kind of future that we hope that Bitcoin will build for us. Um, and then technology, privacy, um, you know, debunking some FUD, uh, and then just like a, a chapter of answering just, you know, we have a list of like 85 questions mm -hmm. um, and we give like short answers to, we've created videos around. So that's all in the works right now. Um, that originated with our kind of our sister product called Give Bitcoin, which we launched uh, last mm. year, kind of early fourth quarter uh, for the for the holiday season, and Swan sort of grew out of Give Bitcoin. We decided to um, create a separate product that was focused on dollar cost averaging and kind of focused at uh, or aimed at Bitcoiners, uh, and then also at moving people that come through Give Bitcoin, which are just you know Bitcoiners will give gifts uh, to their family and friends. We had a lot of users last year give gifts uh, over the holiday season, and transition those folks over to stacking at Swan. That's sort of the the way that those things work together. So that's when we started writing the gift of Bitcoin. That's why it's called the gift of Bitcoin. Um, that's the start of it. Uh, we have big plans. I have big plans for building out just a you know very thorough, robust, just education platform, basically, uh, that, like you said, will take you through like 101 and kind of be sort of a Swan University. You can go, go as deep as you want. Um, but right now, we're also doing a blog. We have a nice blog at swanbitcoin.com slash signal. We call it Swan Signal. We're also doing a weekly live uh, show called Swan Signal Live, and we broadcast on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and then we uh, publish that as an audio podcast as well at swansignalpodcast.com. Um, and that's, we pair up two Bitcoiners. Uh, we had some, we've had some amazing guests. Um, next week we're having Preston Pish, who is a well-known investor with a huge podcast and Adam Back, uh, CEO at Blockstream and, um, you know, cited in the white paper. Um, so we're having kind of combos of guests on that level. Uh, and it's fun because, there's not that many shows out there that are like putting two Bitcoiners together that you don't really see together and play off each other and to hear their perspectives. And so it's been a lot of fun. We're, um, we've done 10 episodes so far. Uh, those have been super valuable. So we get a ton of content out of that and we just like chop it up into short clips and quotes and kind of just, you know, put all that stuff into, into our, uh, our, our books. And, you know, the, we're working on this, uh, sort of sub site where you can just come in and and just start learning it's like the education sort of portal for swan so we're, we're just now starting to build that but i you know it's i think it's going to take a while uh to really complete my full vision um but i'm really excited about it and this is exactly what i wanted to do um so i'm like super stoked to have this job be able to do this hey, before congrats, i man yeah that's, that's, a, Thanks, that's man. a lot of quality content that i hope people consume but before i'm able to like I kind of give my personal stamp of approval to our audience. I got I, like how, why can I trust your platform to be a custodian of my coins? At mm -hmm. least even in the interim of me sending it to my wallet using your service. Yeah. So we do not custody the coins ourselves. So we're sort of a, like a, an application layer on top of our custodial partner, which is prime trust. 
the same custodial partner used by Binance, Bitrix, Huobi, um, maybe OKEx or two. I, I, I'm not sure about that one, but other lots of other exchanges. Um, so they've been in the game for a long time, and really, like when we were considering or like thinking about how to structure the business, um, to us, like why reinvent the wheel? You know, it kind of goes along with that idea of being laser focused on one thing, providing one sort of service, and adding in you know, rebuilding or recreating a whole custodial service uh, was just you know going to require a lot of work, a lot more expense. Um, a lot more so risk. So can't really, just like, <laughs> a lot more risk, obviously. Um, tons more. So we work with Prime Trust, uh, very well respected, very great track record. Um, they store everything in cold storage. You know, there's no, like, everything goes in cold storage every day. Uh, so there's very little risk on that front. We have a great relationship with them. Corey's uh, an incredible networker. Um, the best I've ever seen. And he has a massive network of uh, Bitcoin friends and just people all over in corporate America and different industries. And he's got, uh, you know, a, a few connections at, at Prime Trust that really help us um, just have a have a really nice, a really good pipeline, a really stable and sustainable pipeline into their service. Um, we get a lot of, you know, quick responses from them and, um, yeah, so we have a great relationship. We believe that it's a very, very secure place for the Bitcoin to be held. And we just interface with their API. So uh, when we make purchases, uh, we basically, everything's done through uh, through Prime Trust. And then when we do with withdrawals, we make that request through the API and it's sent out from Prime Trust. Uh, so we don't have, we're, we're in 49 states right out of the, the gate because we don't have to get, you know, MTLs and, you know, other licenses like that. So we're just, we do have to get the bit license in New York. So we're working on that. You know what I hear, Corey? I'm starting to hear robustness. That's what I'm starting to hear. Robustness of the space. True. I mean, you, the, yeah. you guys came out of the space and you're available in 49 states. That would have been not the case three years ago. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's how industries develop, you know? Yeah, it's, it's well, like, Corey. Like like you just said, that's how industries develop. Like this is, we're now at a point um, in like in Bitcoin infrastructure where you can start to build financial services on the infrastructure that exists that add new mm-hmm. services to, to to individuals. Right? You can you can actually start to laser focus on exactly. a specific use case that then integrates with the larger players that are already kind of giving you the quality of service you need to then laser focus on a single thing, like. Doing this in the past was not nearly as easy because you had to do all of those things that he just said we're relying on yep. this company to do for us. And that's a really big, yep. that's, I think that's a really big step in terms of like the technology itself. It's a huge step, man. Okay. And this is, I mean, this is how this kind of layered, you know, layers of specialization is how the economy itself is built. It's how the Bitcoin protocol is scaling, you know, like you have a base layer, it's how the internet scaled. Um, you know, that you have a, a stack of protocols that sort of specialize and build off the more general lower base layer. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tried and true, uh, you know, just way that our, uh, our systems grow, distributed systems grow. Uh, so yeah, it, I think it really signifies or like portends like, a, a you know, maturation in the space that is, um, really exciting. I mean, one thing about one really important thing about timing, or I'm sorry, about uh, starting a company is timing. And I think right now the industry is sort of like just mature enough 
and just young enough to be kind of the sweet spot to really start a Bitcoin only business. So, um, you know, obviously I hope the timing's right, but I think it is. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, we'll wrap it up with our with our trademark question. Uh, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Bitcoin is the future of money. Okay. That works, Corey. That works by, you, by my count. Does it work? Coming in strong. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Brady, thank you very much for swinging by the show. Uh, we know that it's your favorite Bitcoin podcast, even though you have your own. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, thank you very much for swinging by. Um, I'd love to come on that show. I'm a Bitcoiner. Well, I'm a crypto or I don't know. I I'd like be, it all, I would, right at this point in my life, I would be more of a contrarian than anything else. <laughs> yeah, contrarian. Corey hates on Bitcoin these days. I don't hate on it. I talk about things that are happening that no one talks about. I've never like heard that. you say it was a meme coin until last week. It hurt my feelings, bro. It is a meme uh, coin. There, there's, there's, there's a, that's not, wasn't a bad statement. That wasn't a negative statement. It was a fact. It just has negative connotations. I don't know. It just does. Anyways. Thank you very much, Brady, for swinging by. And um, yeah, good luck with good luck. Good luck very much in advertising shit out of those fees because those fees are nice. I'm going to be taking a look immediately. Yeah, I'll probably be. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to look deeper into like how it all fits together and probably use this as my as my main on ramp for people who are only interested in Bitcoin. Just be like, just do this, get it set up, you're good to go. Walk away. Yeah. Those Learn fees more, are man. much better than Coinbase. Much much better. So. Yeah, yeah, you don't. You, you can be the Bitcoin guy in your crew, um, but it's a lot of work. Like I, I'm the internet guy or the computer guy, and my family always have been. So if there's any problem, you know, which there always is with the computer somewhere in your family, yeah. I get the text, I get the call. Yo, Brady, you got to help me with this, man. I can, my printer's not working or whatever. And you know, the, everyone's got that that Bitcoin guy in their life now, um, or increasingly so. Uh, so yeah, at Swan, we want to help you, you know, as the Bitcoin guy to like kind of take some of that burden off of you and. You know, just send them our way. Um, we'll set them up. You can trust us because we're Bitcoin only. Uh, we do this in the right way, and then uh, we'll we'll do some education along the way as well. So hopefully, we can help you out on on the uh, on your, you know, like mission to onboard your friends and family. Nice. Yeah. Right, Thanks, guys. This was a ton of fun. Really appreciate yeah. it, man.